Hey, everybody, this is Nick Mayhew, three-time gold medalist and three-time world record holder, and you're listening to Power 98.5. Hey, what's up? My name's Grant Kanoki. I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, and artist, and you're listening to Power 98.5. We don't play the social game. We are social. Power 98.5. You're listening to Power 98.5, powered by United Angels Dream, your number one resource for public relations, entertainment, and multimedia. Contact them today at unitedangelsdream.com. Hi, this is Dan Aykroyd. He's progressive. He's beautiful. He's thoughtful. He's intelligent. He's powerful. He's positive. He is Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. Empowering listeners from the US to the UK, live on air with Stephen Cuoco. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. You are listening to Live on Air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. It is my birthday, and what a celebration we're going to have today. But to be with my dear friend, who's in Los Angeles, Ms. Catherine Swain. And she's going to be having a new show on Power 98.5. It's going to be called Catherine and Company. And Catherine is known as a social media personality and investment management company. She's the CEO of Catherine Swain, and she will be sharing stories with us today and on her show, Catherine and Company, which will be debuting very soon. Uh, should be sometime this month in April. Uh, she is, and, and most importantly, not only a gorgeous woman and a mom, but she has gifted her life as an entrepreneur, an elite, uh, and uh, you know, an elite amongst elites. Uh, in investment trading and she will be not only on her show but you know in general and with the people that truly respect her uh, she will be interviewing uh, uh, professional athletes um, as a trader she's going to be sharing tips tricks and just all around the best of what you should do when it comes to investment and as a professional advisor uh, Catherine is going to be uh, helping her guests, uh, whether it be in entertainment, sports, and finance, uh, to correlate and sort out best recommendations for them. And also, they could be sharing some great tips with Catherine. So, without any further waiting, and a very, very, very happy, happy birthday to me, but with us, we've got Miss Catherine Swain. Hey, happy birthday, honey. So excited <laughs> for you. Thank you. <clears throat> so how how's today going for you? I know it's still very early for us. Yeah, actually, it's been it's a beautiful day here in L.A. Um, we're you know, we've had a really difficult um, kind of cold year, but um, I'm really excited. I just flew in last night from San Francisco where I was meeting some of the folks that I used to work with and uh, just getting my business going up there as well. So I, and thank you for giving me the plug. Yep. We're Catherine Swain and company. And then I've got a couple other businesses that I'm, that I'm working on, but yeah. We're going to cover LGBTQ invest. Sure. We're going to cover, you know, like you said, Catherine and company, which will be debuting very soon on power 98.5 satellite radio. 
you are also involved with other things as well. Uh, you were, like you said, in San Francisco. I saw the video on your Instagram story, how like several buildings are closed. The town isn't what you recognize. You started your career there. It's where you're from. What was the, the mood like after you left seeing what had happened to the city? You know, San Francisco was one of the very first cities to go on lockdown um, during COVID. So I want to say March of 2020, maybe even before the national lockdown happened. And they were really aggressive in terms of locking down restaurants and businesses and the devastation in terms of just the community element of the city, you know, the, the amount of people walking around and just, you know, in, the city is nothing like I remember it. Honestly, um, I, I would say in the downtown area, probably over 50% of the storefronts are closed or bar boarded up. Um, and, you know, it. I get it. I mean, COVID is no joke. In fact, I mean, when you look at what's happening even today, in parts of this country where we had, I think I saw in the New York Times yesterday, there was 27,000 new cases and it, it's it's game on. I mean, we're, we're back to, you know, at least in LA, we're back to normal. So San Francisco has just decided that they're not going to, um, I mean, I, I think when I was there, you know, it's now April and I would say 95% of the people I, I ran into had masks on. Um, and and I, I get it. It's um, it's 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 serious, but the city is going to take not a few months or even a couple of years. It's going to take a long time to recover from that type of shutdown. I left. Most of the people I knew who could leave left, um, just because it's just it's not the same town we grew up with. Do you plan on? opening an office out there or are you just reconnecting with connections due to now starting LGBTQ invest, you know, letting people know that you've got a radio show that's going to be debuting soon. What is the, the big goal for San Francisco and abroad? Yeah. So San Francisco is obviously it, it is the, I mean, it's not the, 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 the epicenter of the LGBTQ community, certainly in the United States, but it's certainly been leading the charge for decades now. And if we're going to start an LGBTQ business, um, that's where I go for the allies. That's where I go for the people who work in the financial services industry. And they're very much out and very much proud in other parts of the country, <clears throat> not as much. And so, you know, getting to West Hollywood, getting to the Castro, getting into those communities and and sort of getting a, awareness that we as a community um, are are not in the shadows anymore. And we need services that that are as good, if not better than than everyone else. And yes, you can walk into any bank or brokerage and, and open up an account tomorrow, but I can attest from decades in that industry, it's not set up for us. And so that's what my mission is, is to get a, what we call an industry mass affluent, basically uh, an offer for everyone who has a couple bucks in their account. And more importantly, has goals and dreams for their future. How do we get them the resources to be able to, to uh, achieve those, achieve those lifetime goals? And that's what I'm doing. So, yeah. Who would be the ideal client for LGBTQ invest? 
Yeah. You know, we, it's funny because I actually had a conversation with someone who was trying to introduce me to, you know, billionaires and, um, and folks who are, who are really, really wealthy. And I, and I, and I appreciated the the thought, but I thought that's not really who we're for, you know, we're, we're for, you know, the, 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 the gay man in, in Iowa who just came out and went into his local brokerage firm and, and they just didn't treat him kindly or the, the trans woman in Florida who is struggling just day to day. And the idea that she's going to walk into her as it were open an account, it is a very difficult process for those folks to be accepted in society and to be taken very seriously. And so what we do at, at, at LGBTQ is really give those people kind of a concierge service for the industry. So you, you come to us, tell us what you want to do, and we take care of everything. And we do it for we do it for the same prices as what the industry is charging for effectively nothing like that. Um, just take your money and invest it. Game over. So yeah, so we're really excited because we do have an offer for the vast majority of folks within the community. Now, when you say cost, Catherine, uh, what does that mean? Is it something you would like to share now? Is it something that is different for each person and their yeah. goal? Right. You know, the financial services industry is is actually a unique beast in that the 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 meat, the thing that you are buying, and the 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 thing that you are getting for your investment. Um, portfolio is actually in the same medium that you're paying for it, right? So, you know, if you buy a car, you don't usually swap a car even for even. So when you are investing in, in an investment portfolio and the returns come to you in dollars, you're also paying in dollars. So fees become a huge part of your outcome and managing those fees and keeping those fees as low as possible is, is really what the game is about. So we spent so much time talking about, do I buy Amazon or Apple? Do I invest in Bitcoin? And the answer is, yeah, of course, all of those things. But the most important thing is that over time, as the markets go up and down, true performance really is a function of the broad growth in the markets minus the fees and expenses you paid along the way. And and what we also know about the industry is the less money you have, the more you pay as a percentage of your wealth. So if you only have a hundred thousand bucks in the world and, and by the way, well done, great job. The answer is your fees are something like 2% per year to have someone take care of your portfolio. But if you've got 2 million, the numbers are a fraction of that. And so how do we provide the services for that $2 million client and, and, and the $100,000 client that makes sense for them so that they can afford to achieve their goals, if that makes sense. It does. And for it's it's odd, but it I it makes sense. I just don't think that somebody should be penalized, which I that's how I consider it, for <laughs> only having a hundred thousand dollars instead right. of two million. Uh, for those that are tuning in, we've got Catherine Swain. She's a very good friend of mine. She will be debuting her new show, Catherine and Company, on Power 98.5 satellite radio. Uh, We will, me and my team, we will let you know when the official airing is going to be, which it should be very soon, meaning this month. Uh, For over 30 years, 
Catherine has been advising hedge funds, family offices, CEOs, professionals, sports franchise owners, as well as royal and presidential families in her roles as a professional trader, manager, and investment advisor representative. Your portfolio is incredible. Your years of expertise, 30. I mean, I've got 30 in PR. You've got 30 in and as an advisor through, you know, hedge funds, uh, you know, working with people with their finances, it would separate you, Catherine, from someone else that's at the same level as you. Right. Yeah. So I'm a little unique in that, you know, I, I grew up trans. I, I'm trans, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, and in that world, you just don't know what your future looks like. So you are, you, you realize, and by the way, transitioning costs a lot of money. Um, and if you're going to do it, you, you know, trying to save up as soon as you can is really important. So that's kind of how I got started in the business, weirdly, you know, when everyone else was, you know, partying in college and then, you know, getting kind of fun jobs after college. I, I, I was working at Merrill Lynch. I started um, when I was 21. Um, I think I was an intern and then a sales assistant and then a broker. And I did all of that in the first year and a half. So, so often when I run into folks who are in my industry and they're, they're my age, they've been in the business for, for 10 years or 15 years, the average tenure for a advisor of someone who is licensed to work with individual investors is 4.8 years. And I'm now coming up on 30 years or at least at 30 years now. And so how did, how did that happen? And, and the answer is it was necessity. You, you just, as a trans person, you just don't know when um, and if you're going to have a job in the future. Just wait for the world to give you something. You had to create it for yourself. And so at 21, I um, went to Merrill, effectively just willing to, to you know, mop the floors and and take out the trash just so they'll allow me to sit at one of those desks. And, and 30 years later, here we are. Um, I, I also did something really important. Um, I did not wait around. I did not wait around for, um, for the industry to, to say, here's what your job is. The first thing I did was got in the business and then I moved to, um, I guess I can say at Schwab. Um, I worked at Schwab for nine years and I worked on their high net, high net worth um, equity and option trading desk. And so basically I was the, the London um, coordinator. I, I handled all of the London accounts. So that was royal families and presidential families. Um, and it was hedge funds. So, so we dealt with a lot of Swiss, um, uh, basically they were family offices that operated like hedge funds. And, and I was their head of trading for all of those firms because that's what we, we did. And so that experience opened the door to not just you know, here's a mom and pop trying to invest for their retirement, but, but what, what, you know, what is the world of the financial services industry? What is available? Um, and so I got to know kind of every aspect of that business. And it was funny because when I was thinking about starting my own firm, I thought, you know, how many people in my career have had the, the career that I've had in terms of working in trading, advisory, operations, marketing, management? And almost no one. I thought, you know what? <laughs> in my, in, you know, we ought, we really need to start a firm for our community, and you know, and that's that's how that kind of got started. 
with you, Catherine, having, you know, over 15 years in your role as a registered investment advisor, business becoming, you know, one of the top, you are one of the top advisors in Northern California, and you had overseen over 350 million in client assets. So are you looking to be more heading into reaching the billion mark eventually down the road? Do you see you and your business accomplishing? You know, it's funny. I, I was watching a video with um, um, Joan Collins. I was a massive Dynasty fan in the 80s when I was growing up as a kid. And Joan Collins, it was kind of like a retrospective on her life. And one of the things that she said was that every single time she reached a kind of a pinnacle, a new high point in her life, she had to basically almost start over and then build up to go to an even higher level later on in, in her life. And so that was the message, which is just when you think you can't go any higher, you kind of have to go backwards to go forward. And so as much as I have managed hundreds of millions in the past, um, uh, to, to really achieve what I think I can do or what we can do as, as, as a firm, um, and I, you're, you're right, it's a billion, it's a, it's a couple billion or more, um, you know, we kind of had to start over and sort of from the ground up, rebuild what that offer looks like. And that's where LGBTQ Invest came from, which is if you're going to build a firm today, what would it look like and how big could it be? And when you look at the size, uh, my actually my favorite stat that, that I just read um, from 2020 to 2021, 5.4% um, of Americans self-identified as LGBTQ in 2020. And in 2021, and by the way, that number had been you know, three, four, five percent for for decades, and in 2021 it went from 5.4 to 7.1, and so it was such a dramatic shift that I had to look into it. And what I found was is that the next generation, Gen Z, you know, they're almost 22 percent self-identifying as LGBTQ. When you think about the the percentages of 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 people who are going to be looking for you know, a positive advisory experience, you know, we're, we know we're going to hire people who we trust the most. And my doctor is, is, is a trans woman. My voice coach is a trans woman. My real estate agent is gay. And so often I find myself trusting the people who've been through the battles I've been through. And so, you know, building the, the firm was really like based on those statistics so if we go from 5.4 to 7.1, you can quickly do the math. We're probably heading to 10 in the next 20 years of a 360 million population. That's 36 million people who are self-identifying as LGBTQ. Out of 36 million, that means there's millions and millions of investors who are you know, saving, planning for their financial futures. And no one is helping them. No one is specifically saying, here's who we are. Here's what we stand for. And that's what we're trying to do at LGBTQ Invest. We're trying to capitalize and support that rise in our community. What is it that the LGBT community is missing out on compared to someone that is not gay or bi? Let's just say someone who is identified as straight. What if anything, are they getting better when it comes to perks and 
uh, encouragement, enlightenment, right. acceptance that the LGBT community is not, once again, at this time or or maybe in general, that you can offer as a bridge in making sure that they are treated as an equal. The operation is happening um, as an equal in its best interest for that person, no matter who they are, that potentially another person or, or another company is being bi- biased about. Yeah. You know, so much about investing, at least when you're hiring a professional, is is about listening and getting to know who that person is and what they're trying to accomplish. And so the so the person that you choose to work with for as an investment advisor really has to be good at listening, number one. And more importantly, they have to be compassionate and and sensitive to to who you are and what you're trying to, to accomplish. Um it it does remind me of, of a specific incident in my career. One time, we had um, a, a couple times actually. Now that I think about it, um, there was a, a, there was a, a, a couple guys from um, from a part of California I won't mention, um, and they were they were a gay couple, and they were referred to me, um, and I met I met with them over Zoom, and they agreed to to work with us. And it turns out because the way my firm was structured there, they didn't live in my, my zip code, my territory. So, so I couldn't work with them. And what was funny was, is that the person that I referred them on to every time they came back to me with updates as to the progress of that relationship for the firm, those gay guys from Palm Springs, (laughs) you know, those gay guys from Palm Springs just signed up those gay guys from, you know, from Palm Springs, you know, their accounts just opened and we just started trading. And I remember thinking to myself, is that's not the way I would want to be talked about behind the scenes of, if I were a client. Um, and so it is about respect and it is about understanding who that person is and, and what they want out of their lives, because that's what we are providing. We're providing a, a, a helpful sort of advisory relationship to help people get the most out of their lives because money really ultimately defines so much of your of 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 not necessarily who you are but what you can do in your life going forward where you can live it just really kind of pervades everything and so you want to have somebody who gets it who gets who you are and most importantly doesn't um you know doesn't dismiss you because of your sexuality or because of your gender um, and that it's, you know, the more, the more I think about it, I, I didn't play golf. At least I, I, I attempted to play golf, but so much of business was done out on that golf course. And as, as someone who's trans, who could, doesn't care about golf, it was really frustrating, you know? So, you know, creating a space, I would much rather be doing business, you know, over a, at a drag brunch on a Sunday or, you know, watching the Oscars with my friends. That's when we don't want to be doing business the way we want to do it. You know, if that makes sense. It does make sense. What advice can you offer someone when it comes to wanting to know when it, when it pertains to lifestyle, whether, you know, they want to own a yacht or a jet or, you know, get into property, um, you know, ownership, or I, I don't know if, uh, what did I call that, Catherine? Um, uh, like there's fixer uppers or um, what is that thing again? Oh, I can't believe I'm having a brain fart on it. Uh, 
people go in flipping, like flip whatever it may be. However, yeah, they like you're flipping a house. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, I should I should have bailed you out earlier. <laughs> <laughs> when they want to like become more wealthy, even with you know Bitcoin or you know right cryptocurrency, what would be the best first move when making a decision, right. when addressing your first investment? What do you advise? So first off, you know, whenever someone asks me about specifically an investment, and, and I get Bitcoin all the time, um, and I'm not opposed to Bitcoin, I actually, I, I, I love the concept, and we can get into the concept conceptual idea of of fiat currency and and what why bitcoin even exists and, and that's another conversation um but most importantly i think the one thing that an investment professional would look at when it comes to an investor's portfolio isn't what did we buy or but more importantly like what are we buying and 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 most importantly what are we not buying and because you know in my career uh, we used to, when I worked on the trading desk um, years ago in the late nineties, and I was on a trading desk during the kind of that 19 late nineties boom period where I was just, it was, it was the old West. I mean, literally I saw people go from making, they had a million bucks in their account. Um, they, they, they had enough to get on this trading desk somewhere else. And um, one of my clients was a NBA franchise owner. And in a matter of like a few months, he turned a million dollars into 50 million. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, he had, I mean, like to do that in a year and a half. And then what was fascinating is I left the trading desk, went into management, came back two years later, this is 2002. And that 50 million was 800,000 bucks. So he made, he went from making, he had a million, made another 49 million and gave it all back in the course of like four years. And it really reminded me that the most important thing is about figuring out what your objective is in life and then building something that is the least volatile to get you to the destination. There's a um, kind of a, the accepted form of investment strategy for most investors when it comes to financial planning, and that's asset allocation. Asset allocation basically means that we're going to spread all of our eggs over a number of different baskets, and we're going to have as many non-correlating outcomes as possible. So the stocks are going to, currency is going to do this, uh, maybe real estate. Um, and there's a million other sort of forms of investment, maybe not a million, but there's a lot. Um, and, and all of those things are going to have very different outcomes. So often when the stock market is going up, the bond market's going down. And when the stock market is going down, usually Bitcoin is going down with it, even though theoretically it's not supposed to work that way. And so the most important thing that we have to look at it isn't what the what the the amount of money you can make. It's the amount of money that you cannot afford to lose, and then we start to build out a portfolio from that number, right? So if let's say I know psychologically that asset allocation works, and I can spread all those eggs over a number of different baskets, and I know that I'll you know over a ten or twenty year time frame will reach your financial goal. But what I also know is in two thousand and eight. The number of people who gave up on financial planning was outrageous. It was it was in the I want to say it was almost forty percent. Forty percent of investors who had an asset allocation plan punched out, sold everything because they couldn't bear the losses anymore. And so, understanding the client's risk appetite, like what are they willing to lose? If you have a million bucks and 
The market's lost 30, 40, 50% a number of times in my career. And I, and you gave me a million bucks and a year and a half later, I showed you your account and it was $500,000. You'd probably fire me. And that's what we're trying to avoid. How do we get that client 10 years down the road without having that crisis of confidence that they looked at their portfolio, they gave their advisor a million bucks and it's now 862,000. And they say, that's it. I got to get out and go do something else. And that sort of mentality of, of chasing returns is what we're ultimately trying to avoid. So yeah, so you have to start somewhere, but the most important thing is figure out what you can't afford to lose. And then we'll build from there. So when someone's thinking about whether they obtain an inheritance, flip a house, whatever it may be, Catherine, and they were to potentially think to themselves, I'm just going to leave it in a bank. I'm going to leave it in the savings or I'm going to get right. some CDs or something. And they're shooing away the idea of hiring someone like you in the industry that is doing exceptional, exceptional things and the idea of, oh, I don't need a portfolio. What would you say about that? Yeah, actually, you know, what's funny, but this is, this is actually the moment in, in my career. So I've now been doing it, like I said, 30 years. And when I was a kid and I, and I think, I think you can remember this birthday boy, um, in the late seventies, we had runaway inflation. So in, in 1982, inflation was double digits over 10%. And I, I, I remember I was, I was a kid, so I knew the price of certain things. I knew what a price of a comic book was, and I knew what a price of a candy bar was, and I knew what a price of a, of a Hot Wheel was. You know, So just to give you an idea, when I was a kid, um, comic books were 10 cents. And then within a handful of years, they were a dollar. And I'm and I'm not kidding. They they went from ten cents up a dollar. That was inflation. You know, um, candy bars. I remember the candy bar was a quarter. It was just a quarter. That was what it was my entire childhood. And then one day I walked in and it was fifty cents. And then another year went by and it was seventy five cents. And so what's fascinating is is that since 1982 the inflationary numbers have come down, and those inflationary numbers got all the way down to where we were in the last 10 years post of the financial crisis, where they were hovering around zero. And once they're at zero, it is a very big problem because if inflation's at zero, that means that there's very little growth of the assets around them. And, and there is a bit of a game with it, with, with governments and how they manage currencies. So basically what the, what the Federal Reserve did during the initial phases of the COVID crisis, and especially after the financial crisis, was to... Um, as prices were starting to decline, you know they can't just instantly increase um, investors or instant, instantly increase economic activity. So the one thing they can do is instantly increase money. And the more money you throw, you basically flood the system with. We have to change the denominator on the price of things, and now we have to change the prices. So imagine that you double the money supply, and you had a five hundred thousand dollar home before. Well, if money is worth half of what it was the day before, well, guess what? The value of your home is now a million dollars. And so for decades, we had very, very low inflation. And only in the last year, post-COVID, after the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world flooded the market with cash to be able to kind of backstop or support the global economy in the face of what was a one in a hundred year pandemic. That's what ultimately has created this inflation. And so if you as an investor have money in the bank 
and, and inflation is 1982 level, so 10% a year, that means that the money that you have is losing 10% of its buying power each and every year. You, in the last 20 years, if inflation's at one or 2%, leave it in the bank, fine. I, I might be only getting a half a percent return on that money, but it's not killing me because frankly, a dollar's worth a dollar. Well, now inflation's at 7% and it's possibly on its way higher because we're, as far as I can see, the Federal Reserve is not turning around on a dime. And so if you as an investor are looking at you know, what you should be thinking about, you should be terrified of inflation. If you're 40 years old, you've never known inflation. Think about that. 40-year-olds and below have not known what it means to live in a high inflationary environment. And it does change things immeasurably. When we think about gas, um, so most people, I've been there myself, when we look at, you know, real estate, you know, government, uh, as you were talking about Catherine inflation and change of times and everything else like that. When Trump was in office, gas was $2.11, uh, $2.19, $2 maybe $2.24. Right. So now it's $5.49. Is it the fault of the president? Is it the fault of the economy or lack of proper preparation? Because when gas prices are so high, food is so high, rent is, you know, where a property here in Vegas would be twelve fifty is now thirty six hundred dollars. Why is that, Catherine? Yeah, well, that's one. Now it's starting to get a little nuanced. So, so we do have what the Fed did post COVID and, and certainly post financial crisis, um, printing tr literally trillions of new dollars. Um, but that also coincided with COVID and the um, global supply chain um, challenges. So we had a few things happen. One, there was a, if you can remember, there was a giant taker in, in the Suez Canal that got stuck, which basically, you know, clogged up the entire global shipping supply system. And we, so, so that's number one. Um, and then that came at the time when China was going through lockdown, um, shipping, you know, so if you wanted to order something from China, get ready, it's going to be a while. Um, so as a result, at the same moment where you're basically printing, you know, huge amounts of money, creating artificial inflation, now you have a essentially a scarcity of products, which is also right. So if there's fewer products, we're all chasing the same goods and services, we all bid a little bit higher, prices start to rise. So so you have a combination of the fact that inflation is at the highest level in, in 40 years. You have which drive prices higher. And most importantly, and this is the best part of this, you know, COVID total told a lot of, excuse me, taught a lot of us that, you know, life is is fleeting. You know, I I had three or four really, well, three or four, I had four close family and friends die in the last two years, tragically, from COVID or complications thereof. And so there is a there's a third kind of leg to this stool, which is inflation and real you know global supply chain, but people are not waiting. They're not waiting on their lives. They're going for it now, and so often I have another friend who's in real estate, um, and you know the, the whenever they list a house now, there might be thirty or forty offers above asking, and so 
there are just more people who are willing to go for it now. And that's ultimately causing additional, you know, kind of a, there's a, a FOMO of, of, uh, in that sense, co- causing prices to go higher too. When, when we think about cryptocurrency, what are the benefits when investing in cryptocurrency now? Right. So, you know, what's funny about crypto and I love crypto. I love the idea of it. Um, obviously the, the blockchain is, so, you know, the, the idea of having a ledger that, that is, that is fixed. And, and so why do I love it? Um, and the answer is because for my entire career, I have struggled with my clients, other investment professionals being enamored with gold. You know, gold is, you know, the, is it's the original currency. You know, it, it has thousands of years of history as a store of value. It is it has been for many countries, the foundation of their financial system. They backed their currency by the gold that they have in reserve. And the reason why gold and what, what, you know, what makes gold so valuable other than we've all decided together collectively, collectively decide, you know, what gold is worth, but ultimately it's just a shiny metal. And the answer is because it is finite, you know, the total amount of gold that has been has been produced and exists in the world would fit into two um, Olympic-sized swimming pools. So as a result, if a country like the United States of America has a pandemic and they start and see, and I gave you the scenario, we have to reprice everything because the value of money is different. Well, they didn't, they can't print gold. They can mine it, but it takes a long time. But what the other thing that we can't print just at a, uh, at will um, is is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, because of the blockchain technology and because of its its formation and the creation of new Bitcoin, you can't just decide to open the taps. So even though you know Bitcoin is in the same way that gold is just a shiny metal, Bitcoin is just a digital um, item in a ledger someplace. So why is it valuable? And the answer is because you can't invent it at will. And so Bitcoin will continue and other cryptocurrencies will continue to be a store of value, especially in a digital age. One of my favorite movies growing up was um, um, The Italian Job with Michael Caine, the original one, Michael Caine. And the whole movie was his team of, of thieves who go from England to Italy to steal the government's supply um, of, of gold as it moves from one place to another. And the biggest problem they have to face is that gold weighs a lot. And how do you get that much heavy gold off of a truck and into three little minis? Well, that's exactly the same problem with gold today, which is if you're China and you want to buy something, are you really going to grab all that gold and put it on a plane and ship it someplace. And with all the, you know, with all the problems that that um, engenders, but now with Bitcoin, boom, instant digital transaction anywhere in the world, not traceable. So that's why Bitcoin will continue to be um, a a store of value and may actually increase as time goes by because the demand for Bitcoin is rising faster than the supply. The end. So in 2021, Thank you for that, Catherine. You launched Catherine Swain and Company, 
um, that's, you know, your signature brand, which its mission is to provide a world-class investment management and retirement planning experience, okay? And you're leveraging right. decades of fiduciary money management experience coupled with the latest modern technology available. And your firm offers a customized level of service and portfolio, you know, tailoring to each individual person's needs. So when we look at finance, we understand, you know, there's public finance, there's personal finance, corporate and private. Where do we begin? If I were to say become a client, um, where would I begin? What is most important? Is it public? Is it personal? Is it corporate? Is it private? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I actually have, um, <laughs> I, I kind of have a beef about this one because every time I, I go into like a drop down menu, whenever I'm telling people what I do, the answer is always, you know, are you an accountant? Are you an attorney? Are you a, you know, are you a beekeeper? And when they get to my category, the category is finance. And finance is, you know, when I think of finance, I think of, you know, uh, a, right now, like, uh, I'm I'm a big English soccer fan, so um, there's a there's a new story out called uh, about Chelsea Football Club, which is one of the world's biggest you know soccer teams, and the owner, who is a Russian oligarch, had his team and his assets stripped from him, and now they're selling the team to to another buyer, which is amazing. This is one of the outcomes from the Ukrainian Russian war, and. By the way, 100% support this because you know the the money that was used to buy that team in the first place was effectively stolen by the oligarchs. Um, but the the price tag of that team is ultimately driven by. Um, I'm sorry. You know what? I what, what? I'm sorry. You're gonna have to repeat the question. <laughs> no worries. No, you're on the right track. So we understood that there's four types of finance, public, personal, corporate, and private. Where oh, do right, we right, begin? Right. Like somebody that's, <laughs> that may not be an investment or a little bit of oh, investment. Right. What's yeah. most important? So here, here's the thing about the Chelsea Football Club. So basically the people <laughs> who are running that bid and, and finding the real true price of that, those guys are in, or, and gals are in finance, mm -hmm. right? That's what they do. They basically package up deals and they get a group of investors this is the world of finance. So if you're basically the state of California and you need to borrow money to build a new dam or a, a new canal or, or maybe fix the street <laughs> outside my apartment, um, that's where finance comes in, where you collectively gather up, um, uh, whether it's institutional or, or public monies to invest in a, uh, in a project or, or, or service. Um, financial services is really what I do and that's where basically we take all of the world of investing and we try to make it simple enough that the individual investor can participate in a level that, that works for them and allows them to participate in what really is, is, is something that's been largely closed to, to everyday investors. So, so, you know, when we look back at the history of Wall Street, you know, Wall Street didn't start by going to mom and pops you know, on Main Street in America. It started by basically, you know, gathering money from people like the Rothschilds, the the original, you know, founding uh, settlers of this country, and that's the, where the big money is. But mom and pop investing—that's really in my lifetime. I mean, we—that was created. The IRA was invented in, in I want to say, nineteen eighty-one or right around that time. 
Um, and so an IRA did not exist before that. And so when you look at what IRAs do, individual retirement account, um, that basically is a savings vehicle for you and I. Up until that point, that was not a thing. And so once the IRA came along and 401ks and other types of savings vehicles, that's when the financial services industry really boomed. And that's that's ultimately what I do. We understand and know that there are some principles when it comes to finance. So I know consistency, right. timeliness, justification, documentation, and also certification. What does right. that mean? Does that is that language or how important is that language to a client in understanding? Or can you break that down simply in a manner that is not so dictionary style? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that when we look at what investors do versus what they should be doing, um, most of the time, and and I can say this having done this for 30 years and I've had thousands and thousands of client interactions, you know, it's about discipline. Honestly, that that is it. You know, one of the things I I, I tell my clients is the, the markets are relentless. So when you're on vacation in Europe or when you're sleeping or when you're, you know, you're on the back, you're, you're on the golf course, the markets are still going, you know? And when I was a trader, we used to say, um, if you, if you make a trade, that's a trade. If you don't make a trade, that's a trade, right? By doing nothing, you're essentially we, what well, we talked about inflation right now. So if you leave your money in your bank account, you're basically saying, I'm okay losing 10% of buying power a year. That's what you're saying right now. That's a trade, right? I'm betting that inflation is going to go back and I don't have to put my money to work. That's a trade. And so anytime we construct a portfolio, it's really about creating a discipline for that investor that basically takes the relentlessness of the markets away and allows them to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go lead my life. I'm going to go do whatever my job is, whatever my passion in life is. And somebody is going to be paying attention, even though I'm not. And so when I look at what investors, the biggest mistakes they make, it's they get really focused. They do their research. They look at the investments and then they allocate their portfolio. And that's the last time they'll look at it for two or three years. And then they wake up two or three years later and they find that, tech has fallen apart or value has fallen apart or Bitcoin has rallied or something changed. And then they go switch it then, but it's too late. The markets are relentless. And most importantly, the real money is made early on in cycles and identifying those cycles and the thematic um, sort of trends that are, that are happening. Right. So for example, you know, in 2008, when oil was $142 a barrel, you know, we were looking at ways to not invest in oil, but to how to, what's going to happen when oil finally comes down? What are the implications? Now, we didn't really fully understand how levered the financial services industry was, especially to oil um, during the 08 crisis, but we really felt it. And so it's understanding where we are in the cycle, because don't forget, oil went from 142 in 2008, and I think we were down to $27 a barrel probably in 2019 or so, maybe, excuse me, probably 18. And so, so it's about discipline and it's about the relentlessness in the markets and sticking to a program. And that's why an advisor really makes sense. What can you do when offering Catherine a, a better way to help 
in its decision making with people's money? Where do you begin with a client when they first walk into your office or give you a call? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The the first thing you do is tell me about yourself. What do you want out of your life? Honestly, it's funny because we are a financial services industry um, uh, advisory firm, but most importantly, it's almost a little therapist, which is, you know, when people come to us, they're usually 45, 50, 55, 60, or even 65 years old. That's usually when we get that first introduction to that, that, that person. And the, the, the first question I have is tell me about what you want out of your life. And then I will see if I can help you. And that's it. Um, so, so I'll never talk about investments for, for a long time, you know, specifically for a, a single person, but it really comes down to, um, to that. I think I'm going to have one more question because I had a lot for you. As you can see, I was prepared. Oh my God, no, no shit. <laughs> and you didn't know what I was going to ask because we know I, I didn't. I was like, these are good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know we can go for a couple hours. Uh, you know what? Honestly, these are so good. I wasn't even prepared for how good these were. I was like, ooh, these are juicy ones. <laughs> um, I love what I do, Catherine. <laughs> What can, what can you tell us by what, what I can do for myself, someone else, what can we do to improve in its simplest ways, our financial skills in this world, not only when thinking about investing, but with money in general to have a better relationship with it? Oh yeah, that's. This is actually one that we can I, I we can go back to my running career. So you mentioned earlier, yeah, I was an elite runner. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little about myself in this answer. Um, so, as a runner, you know, it's it's you know, you just go out the door and you go running every day. That's that's how you get better. The end. It's about developing a program and writing it down. <laughs> this, this is so important. Write it down. Anything you do, whether it's running, investing, saving, whatever, I want you just to write it down, which is here's what I've got. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to get to. Develop a plan. It could be one paragraph. And that's what we do. It, it's not magic. It's not rocket science. We basically help people articulate an investment program and stick to it. It's about discipline and about just sort of, you know, you know, being held accountable to yourself. You have to be held accountable. So, you know, as much as we're an investment advisory firm, we're really almost a little bit therapist as well, which is tell us what you're afraid of. Tell us what your, what your goals are. Tell us what, you know, who, who do you care about? Who do you want to make sure that this is, is taken care of when you're gone? Those types of questions, most people have never sat down and wrote down what their game plan is. And that's what we do. And honestly, that's what happens before we even charge you. We, we, want, we want to get to know who you are and what you want out of this. And then we'll develop a plan. And then you can make that decision if, that, if we're the right firm for you, if that makes sense. And to add to that, and this is what's absolutely perfect, and we're going to close out very soon we know 
that the study of finance is very, very difficult. And it's known to be, you know, not only moderately complex in its mathematics um, and, and more difficult than liberal art majors. When hiring you, Catherine, how is it because of understanding how hard in its education and implementation as a professional such as yourself, Catherine, what do you do to make the first experience and transaction to be easy for that client? Yeah. Um, I leave you stumped for a moment. No, no, no. Can you, can you do me a favor, honey? Can you just do that questioning? And because I actually had a great answer and then I, I lost it when I got caught up in the rest of your question. <laughs> no worries. So, so once again, we know that finance is difficult. It's a hard major. It's, it's, it's known to be even harder than liberal arts oh, right. majors. So when, right. you know, thinking about becoming your client, understanding and knowing for a fact that your education, what you do, your 30 plus years experience, this is seasoned. This is not something where someone can go to university and immediately get 30 years, immediately graduate, immediately have a portfolio the way that in the manner that you have and in the way that you have, Catherine, in those proven facts, here's my question, in those proven facts of how difficult it is to do what you do, but you make it so classy and easy and effortless, what is the first thing with not knowing anything about finance as someone who's an educator as someone who is an advisor and someone that takes people's identity, their feelings, their emotions, and their money very seriously. What makes it so fun and easy for me as a client and anyone else as a client that you do so that we know and forget, but then eventually be reminded be like, holy shit, this is yeah. not simple. But this no. is how simple Catherine is making it. Right. Right. And in fact, if I'm if I can go back in my career and say what made me special, it was and and what my advisors that I've worked with, because most of my career I've basically been advising advisors. That's what I mostly did. Um, but they but the 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 general feedback is is I take very complex concepts and I make them very palatable and simple for people to understand and digest and 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 really act upon. Um, but this is actually part of a much bigger um, conversation in that you know when we as a, as a as a species as as human beings, I d see something that's really complex, really confusing. And when I say complex, I mean there's like multifactorial inputs that that are infinite. Right. So what, when people say, why is the stock market going up and down? It was funny because I, I, I used to, as a trader, one of my, my clients would call up and they're like, why is the market up today? And we used to laugh on the trading desk because the answer we always would say to ourselves, because there's more buyers than sellers, <laughs> you know, prices go up when there's more buyers than sellers. But, but ultimately it's humans. And we saw this over four years of, of the Trump administration, you know, taking really complex issues, you know, issues of foreign policy 
and dumbing them down because you don't understand. And this is the key difference, which is um, if something is confusing, we as, as a species tend to replace that complex conundrum with a simple you know, uh, answer, which is usually wrong, but it allows us to continue to operate and move forward if we don't have an answer to something that is so complex. So, so in the financial services industry, I, I've just seen that over and over again, which is my favorite one is in, in 1999, I used to do investing seminars, teaching people just the basics, financial planning, asset allocation, diversification, understanding security selection and how we pick an individual stock. And, and I'll never forget a guy was in the front row and, he, and I talked for an hour and a half and got really into the weeds with all the complexity of the markets. And he raised his hand and, he, and there's a hundred people in the auditorium. And he said, you know, I just keep buying Cisco and it keeps going up. And, and effectively to dismiss the last hour and a half. And this was, I want to say the end of 1999, Cisco famously blew up um, just before the market really crashed. And this, this person likely, and I, I don't know what happened to this person, but if all of their money was in Cisco, they went from having whatever they had before to 90% less within a year and a half. So just replacing complex, difficult, um, um, you know, very nuanced uh, investing decisions with, I just keep buying Cisco and it keeps going up. I keep buying Apple and it keeps going up. I keep buying Bitcoin and it keeps going up. That is not a solution. It's, it, it may work for you, you might get lucky, but for most people, for every, you know, for every Apple, or Bitcoin, or, you know, or Cisco in the 90s, you know, there's an Enron, or, you know, there's, or there's a, um, a WorldCom, you know, these are businesses that basically overnight exploded, and went out of business. And people, especially the people who work there lost their life savings, because they just said, well, you know, it's a stock, stocks go up, here we go. What are your final thoughts, Catherine? Yeah, you know, I I hope that as we build LGBTQ Invest and Catherine Spain and Company, let's not forget that Catherine Spain and Company is basically the firm for everyone else. So, so if you want to work with me um, and you want to not necessarily drape yourself in the in the rainbow flag, but you want the same type of expertise and sort of you know, kind of simple, but complex approach to the market, you know, this is, this is, this is for you. Um, I think we need to do that again. <laughs> I really messed that up. Uh, no, Cause like, do- you can't leave me open-ended like that. <laughs> no, it's, you answered the question. You know, you were, you were talking about LGBTQ right. invest, Catherine and company. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, when we think about Catherine and company, Catherine Swain, and that's K A. Can you just go back and do it again? Because I think I have an answer for you. Yeah. I just want to do this quick drop. So okay. Catherine Swain, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-S-W-A-I-N.com to know all things of Catherine Swain, uh, to know what she's doing in the world of finance. And then what is the uh, website for the LGBTQ Invest, Catherine? Uh, you, you just said it, lgbtqinvest.com. There we go. I just wanted to double check. <laughs> Thank you, honey. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, 
simply, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think I may have misplaced the question. <laughs> no, it was just give me a final like any. Oh final yeah, like fi- your your final thought. But you did share it, and and here's the thing: you've. I don't feel that you missed a beat. You didn't skip over anything. You nailed facts and you nailed facts as a 30 plus year veteran in the world of finance and management and money management. So anyone and everyone who's listening to this and will listen to this, you know, we've got live on air with Stephen Cuoco that streams on power 98.5. We're on iHeart, Amazon, Spotify, all over. When someone first hears this interview, what should they, they do, Catherine? Where should they contact you first? And is there a question that they should have right off the bat when contacting you? Yeah, I mean, so if you are, yeah, first off, if you contact us, there there is no obligation, number one, right? So, so we want to give people a forum for being able to ask open-ended questions that might help them, you know, change the trajectory of their lives, right? So if you're working in a job and you're just getting by and you, you've got a little bit of savings, what we're going to do is to try and put you on a program to get you organized and disciplined to be able to get you to whatever your goal is. So the first thing that we're going to do is just listen. And most importantly, we'll develop a program. And, and if you just say, hey, I, I think I can do this on my own. Great. I've never been someone that's going to try and convince somebody that, you know, that, that what we do is, um, is something that they can't do. They can do it, but you probably need 30 years of experience and a full time of watching the markets day in and day out to do what we do. So it's possible, but you'd really have to change your life. And so, so what we want to do is create a place for people to be able to just say, here, here's my stuff give me a program keep me on keep me on track and help me reach my financial goals and that's what lgbtqi and Catherine swain company is all about to learn more about lgbtq invest go to lgbtq.com and katherineswain.com k-a-t-h-r-y-n-s-w-a-i-n Com. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today on Live on Air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. We will also be publishing this on our partnered network, dailymotion.com. Tune into all things Power 98.5 Satellite Radio, Live on Air with Stephen Cuoco, and soon to be, Catherine will be featuring and highlighting her new syndicated, which will become syndicated, radio show, Catherine and Company. Catherine, thank you again. A big shout out to you, to your son, Sebastian, to your partner, Veda, and your adorable cat who I saw on one of our (laughs) lives, your cat, Al. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Stephen. Looking forward to it, honey. Me too. All right. Have a great day, everyone.
socials and let's connect.